You and I are about to embark upon a magnificent collaboration. We are going to make history today. Using your gift, I'm going to do what no politician, no scientist, no philosopher has ever done. I'm going to make the whole world right. Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurial Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend, of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You are about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more in one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. All right, guys, I have an awesome guest. I'm so excited this week. I've been listening to this guy. I'm sure he's been doing it much longer than I've been listening to him, but uh, since like their third, maybe fourth podcast episode, and uh, I was looking, the way I found his show was I was looking for more information on propaganda. Uh, I just discovered Edward Bernays' propaganda, and I couldn't believe I'd never heard about that. All the years I'd listened to talk radio, never heard about that book one time, never heard about it, of course, in school. You don't hear about it in the media. And uh, I found his podcast, and I couldn't believe how great it was. So without any further ado, Brad Binkley from Propaganda Report. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I think um, it's just so important to understand propaganda, the different types of techniques and nuances and and, uh, just so many things, because, you know, like we were saying earlier, it has so much to do with everything that we hear and see in politics, social issues, everything. So uh, I think that uh, it's just so such an interesting topic. And I was just kind of curious how you kind of got interested in propaganda. I've always been interested in conspiracy theories since I was a kid. I, I didn't really believe any of the stuff that, that I heard and on the news or in the media. And I would always research the JFK and all the you know, alien conspiracies when I was a kid. 
but when I got a little bit older, I, I studied journalism in college, journalism and economics in college. And I, uh, I, st- I didn't get, nobody told me about Edward Bernays either when, when I was a kid or when I was in college or it, none of the journalism classes I took talked about it. And then one day I, I stumbled upon it. I'm not even sure how, I think a friend of mine might've recommended it to me. And I read his first book. This is probably 10 years ago, maybe. And I, I was blown away by how open and arrogant he was a- about manipulating the public. The, the book is like his giddy, adventure and manipulating the masses is, is what it feels like and he kind of talks down to to the commoners and he thinks he's above everybody and can kind of separate himself it's real arrogant and then once you start to look at the footnotes and see things that he cited and then you find the research terms and um it opens up a rabbit hole to like harold laswell and walter Lippmann and the committee on public information then you can go back even further to the the british propaganda bureaus and you, you can get all the way back to to napoleon if you want to or, or to alexander the great who put his face on coins and sent the coins uh, as far as he could as a form of propaganda to intimidate his rivals once you open up that pandora's box of edward bernays and other propagandists there's really it's really kind of no turning back because you just continue to get blown away by the levels of deception that exist. Yeah, I agree, man. It's, it's, and, and you're right. Like Bernays is just so out there with it. Now, now when he wrote propaganda, he had already served in the committee on public information, hadn't he? Or is that? Yeah. He wrote yeah. that after he served in the committee and he talked a lot about the committee in that book. And there's actually a book called how we advertised America, which is about the the committee what they did to advertise america to get us to want to join world war one because we we were neutral at that point most the america did not want to go americans did not want to go into the war so they had to get us to think that we needed to go into war and this became the whole idea of spreading democracy across the planet and um, through this committee on public information and bernays talks about that and this other book talks about that I, I talk about this other book a lot right now because what's going on with the vaccine, the same type of effort that happened with the Committee on Public Information is happening right now with the vaccine, where they're engaging religious leaders, they're engaging corporations, they're engaging teachers, they're any channel of communication that can reach the public, especially especially children when it comes to, to mo- a, lot, a lot of propaganda. They want to capture the minds of the kids, but just any channel of communication, they want to capture that channel so that they can deliver that propaganda to the different demographics in the different points of contact that they have. And we're talking like a, a bus, an advertisement on a bus, a billboard, your, your mother, your grandmother, if they could, they want to, they want, they want to get it to you through the sources that you trust the most. A lot of them are witting. A lot of them are unwitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense because uh, I've been telling people that um, the war is on us now. I don't know if you want to call this the world war three or whatever, but uh, who knows, but uh, it's definitely on the public and it's at every turn. And yeah, it's, it reminds me of a lot of the tactics that they did during world war one and probably even world war two and even the war on terror, you know? So if people don't know these techniques and, and, nudge theory you know Cass Sunstein and yeah that book it's it's a great that's a great example that book right there and Cass Sunstein in and of himself writes papers on on conspiracy and how to kind of demonize conspiracy theorists and the idea of conspiracies yeah yeah I try to tell people check that his work out I kind of I'd I'd like to get your opinion because I've heard a lot of good theories but uh, some of the things that Q was doing 
really kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that, um, you know, that Cass Sunstein had written about kind of infiltrating chat rooms and, you know, those yeah. type of things. So did you ever think that maybe he had something to do with it or possibly, you know, that, you that's, know. that's a possibility. I, I think any of those guys, those high level psyop operation guys, and that, that's basically what he is could be involved in that. And you're, I mean, he's kind of a, like a modern day Edward Bernay, so to speak, where he, he's whispered in the ears of people in power. So he very well could have been one of the people who was behind that. Not, not saying that people who follow Q closely, they get upset sometimes because they feel like they're being uh, made fun of or mocked. I, I'm not mocking anybody who believes some of those things. When we talk about Q and stuff, it's just pointing out that it's being exploited and mm. the, I, the stuff that's true that's at the heart of it, the pedophile rings and stuff like that, we know those exist. We've seen Jeffrey Epstein, Jimmy Seville. We, that stuff has been exposed. But by the way that they talk about it, they cover up the re very real problems that there are with that stuff by the way that Q is put out into the media. So they demonize it in a way where nobody wants to touch it and anything that, that comes out of it, people automatically reject or they, they want to get their hands off of. So it's not that when you, when you talk about Q that you think that people in there aren't, don't have good hearts or, or uh, people following it, I mean, or aren't after a worthy cause at some point, it's that the cause has been tainted by the name and that name is, is being used as a psyop, which was most likely created by somebody like Cass Sunstein, in my opinion. I, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too, man. I, it's like, I tell people, yeah, there, there's truth in, in the things that Q says, but then I kind of feel like at some point, if, if it did start out legitimate that it was taken over or infiltrated by, you know, the yeah. powers that be, and yeah, that's um, the challenge, man, is anything yeah. that gets influential is going to be a target for co-option. If you there's a book called The Organizational Weapon, it's a, the Bolshevik strategy on propaganda, and it goes through Vladimir Lenin and Stalin and others. And it just it, it's really is written by the Rand Corporation. So there's going to be an element of propaganda in that as well. Probably in that they say that it's only the communists that do it. It's not just like, it's everybody. It's everybody that, that does it. But that book really details out some very, very interesting tactics that we're seeing all around right now. Like Stacey Abrams might as well be following the model of Vladimir Lenin and his organiz organizing skills, or, or you know, all the way up to Saul Alinsky too. It, it's the, everything we see on TV is propaganda, like everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, I, I talk a lot about, um, and I'm sure my, my listeners are probably getting tired of it, but I talk a lot about Cecil Rhodes and the Rhodes Roundtables and all that, because so much of uh, obviously CFR, 20 plus CFR members in Joe Biden's cabinet now. So, you know, they're still very important. But, um, you know, Cecil Rhodes talked about taking over the press because he said it controlled the minds of the people. And then uh, somebody turned me on to uh, the guy that wrote Rhodes. I guess it was the last will and testament. Yeah, that's what it was. Of Rhodes told the whole story, you know, about his uh, plans to create the secret societies or roundtables or whatever. So anyway, this guy was a newspaper man, W.T. Stead, and uh, he also wrote a book called Government by Journalism, and I think you can find it on ar archive.org. It's only like 27 pages. It was basically, you know, a plan to take over government by journalism. You know, so I, I haven't read that one. I'm going to check yeah. that one out. That That's interesting. 
some yeah. good ones to read that they're very cynical. So you got to have a, um, make sure you, uh, sometimes people can get bummed out when they learn about the propaganda. So I, I don't, I, I see it as the more you learn about it, the freer you are because you can kind of mm. see the illusions that they've built up around you. The, the barriers that we've always thought would hold us back aren't really, they're just, they're not really there. They're an illusion. And the deeper you dive into the propaganda and you realize that it's like, wow, I can actually do a lot of these things that I, was conditioned through the public education system to think that I could not do. So I see it as a liberating, a freeing thing, but the, it's the Walter Littman's, pub, not public relations, it's, um, it, it's public, yeah, I just slipped my mind. It's public something, it's like public relations. I'll think of it in a minute and I'll tell Phantom, you. Phantom, Phantom no, Public. The, the Phantom Public is the other one. That one's another Oh, that's one, the other one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Edward Bernays also has one called public relations. So I get the two confused from time gotcha. to time. I'll thank you yes. in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So Libman worked on the uh, committee on public information as well, didn't he? He, he worked with them. I, I don't know if there's some confusion sometimes as to whether he was actually in it or not. I think he was in it. And I think that's what made him jaded towards, towards propaganda because yeah. th these books that he wrote are very, I mean, he calls out the elites and he, he talks a lot about the, the pseudo reality that the media creates. And, mm -hmm. and that's what the, the news, that's what everything we see on TV. It's this reality that shapes our perception of the world that we don't actually have any contact with, or we don't have any real physical understanding of our entire understanding of that world comes from those who control the channels of communication. And Littman talks about how much power that has and how through that they can keep the public meddling in domestic affairs and domestic quibbles while they keep us as far away from domestic policy the, as, as we can be, because they don't want us meddling in that at all. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I read pretty recently, but I know you've recommended it a long time ago. It was a book called uh, Mobilizing for Chaos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And man, the, the parts in there where they're talking about how uh, even before World War II, the Brits were, you know, taking, they, they cut the cables and, and there was no information yep. really getting out of Germany and they couldn't speak to their allies or anything like that. And so they were controlling all the communications. So I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, that was a pretty long time ago, but, you know, obviously, like you said, it, propaganda started way before that, but that allowed yeah, they, them to really spread whatever news they wanted. Yeah, they, they control the under underwater cables that the Germans would try to get in from. Germans were also trying to do propaganda, too. And this is World War One, not World War Two. Um, okay. You want to give, you always have to make that caveat so people don't think I'm talking about the Nazis. <laughs> but so they gotcha. would try it. They would try and send stuff, and then the British would intercept it, and then they would change it, or they would just not deliver it. And the German propaganda that did get over here during World War One was really bad because they weren't using the emotional appeals that the the British were using. They were being more. They they were presenting more of like. I don't want to say logical arguments, but they just weren't good at it. They didn't put their attention and their energy into it. And that enabled us, the United States and the, the Brits to just to dominate them in the propaganda front. And Bernays actually writes some articles analyzing uh, the propaganda effort after the war where he dissects how each country did and uh, Germany was terrible. Uh, and there's uh, <laughs> other 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 articles, too, about, oh, Hitler. All right, so I just, I'm like, oh, Hitler, forgot about that guy. But, <laughs> so people tell you not to read Mein Kampf, and, and 
you know, I, 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 that's like saying, hey, here's a playbook for how someone can become a tyrant, a dictator, and, and brutalize people. You should not read it. it it's absurd mm. to tell people not to read it. I will say there are parts of it in it that are very disturbing, that uh, it's propaganda in and of itself. But he has a chapter where he lays out exactly what his, like, propaganda strategy is. And the, the strategy is it's very, very similar to, to what we're seeing in – uh, um, around the world right now. And he specifically mocks the Germans, like his own country, for how terrible they were during World War One. And he gives that credit, the propaganda. He praises the propaganda of the U.S. He praises the propaganda of the Brits. And he says that's why they lost the war. It's because of that <laughs> great effort. Wow, that's amazing, man. I had that's no probably idea. why they don't want us reading it. It's because he, he says <laughs> that in there. You're probably right. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and they obviously became really good at it during World War II. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and there's so many different types of propaganda. You know, like, there's like, you know, subtle propaganda, of course, and then outright blatant propaganda and all these hidden esoteric things that are yeah. propaganda. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's everywhere. People kind of get a, a false sense of security when they feel they've they've mastered the surface level propaganda, which that mm -hmm. in and of itself is a tactic. If you read Propaganda, The Formation of Men's Attitudes by Jacques Ayoul, he talks a lot about how the academics are the first targeted. And there's another book called Getting Us Into War, which is also great. It's like a 700-page book written in like the 1930s or 40s that lays out similar tactics. And they, he also talks about in that book, the guy's name is Porter Sargent, about targeting the intellectuals first because they, they think that they cannot be fooled. Their egos are, are so big and you can play to those egos. And if you can get them, then they will spread the propaganda to everybody else. And, and th they'll never believe that they've been fooled because they'll <laughs> think that they have an understanding of the surface level of it. And with this idea of media literacy and how to spot fake news and, oh, that's gaslighting right there. That's whataboutism. Whataboutism. Everybody just shouts, what about it? It doesn't matter what you say. Whataboutism. What, what does that even mean? It's, it's become a, a meaningless term. And that makes people think that they're secure and they can't be fooled when the reality is that that is intentionally created so that they can continue to get propagandized by the bigger picture the, and the underlying more, more subtle aspects of propaganda. I always tell people that it is hard because psychologically and emotionally is, is what they target. The person that you identify with the most in politics versus the person that you hate the most in politics, if we said Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, for example. If you're a big Hillary Clinton supporter, then you automatically, at least from my experiences with people like that, they distrust everything Trump says. They don't believe any of They could say, you are standing on the grass right now, and they'd be like, no, 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 racist. I mean, they just, they won't believe anything he says. So are you more likely to be propagandized by the person that you never believe anything that they say, or by the person that, you because of your dislike for that person you almost automatically believe everything that they say as a propagandist i'm going to put if i'm a propagandist if i'm edward bernays i'm going to put the message i want to influence you into the mouth of hillary clinton because you're not going to critically analyze it so we should be criti criticizing and analyzing the stuff that the people we identify with most 
twice or three times or more as hard as we do the people that we don't like, because that is where they're going to put most of the messages in. Now, there is there yeah. is something to if you automatically just disbelieve something somebody says too. you can still use that. But um, we have to be able to analyze our own biases and our own. Um, I, we all think we're thinking well, well think we're thinking intellectually. Yeah. And we're really not. We're, we're thinking emotionally most of the time, especially in this propaganda atmosphere. Yeah, because we're, you know, even people who talk a lot about fake news, and I mean, fake news, of course, is a very real thing. But a lot of people I talk to, they are still influenced and molded by the fake news that they hear. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and I'm no spring chicken, but people that are older, my age, a little bit older, seem to be even more susceptible in a way to it because it's like they know that there's all this fake news out there, but they still believe everything they read in their history books, you know, about the wars and stuff like that. Yeah. And they won't yeah. question anything. And then, like you're saying, when it comes to their parties, you know, they're not going to question. I mean, they might question people like Lindsey Graham and a few people like that, but mm -hmm. they won't really question like like Trump, you know. And I, I've been trying to tell people for a long time, basically what you just said, our own parties do us in much worse than the other side. Cause like you said, we're watching the other side. Yeah. And so it's almost to the point where people are so divided that, you know, the, the people you hate can say something like the opposition and you'll go against it no matter what. So that allows for you to be really kind of nudged and, and molded. Yeah. So it's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. That, that book is public opinion that I was going to tell you about through Walter Littman. Uh, it's a good one. But yeah, it's we're so controllable and moldable when we are so when we're reacting in those ways, just pure emotion, pure hate. It's the perfect tool for division and for for destabilizing a country and for conquering them, really. And there, I don't know if you saw the article a few weeks ago that was in The New York Times it was an opinion article, but it was something like um, don't go down the rabbit hole while critical thinking in a certain way, like it, it was saying, don't critical think in the headline, which is crazy to even make that <laughs> argument because critical thinking, I mean, this is what they told Socrates. This is why Socrates was put on trial and, and killed because he was <laughs> making the, the youth think and ask questions. And it's, it's crazy that we're like going back to ancient times where you can't even say anything or people will, people will literally call you a Nazi if you just question anything about, about Joe Biden. They'll find a oh, yeah. way to justify that you're a Nazi. Right. Oh, yeah. It's and they're making those terms more and more meaningless, you know, as, as they keep on calling people things yeah. that they're not, you know, they, they just aren't. And, and, and it's just amazing to me, man. It's like when I first got into politics was like right after or right before 9-11, I started listening to Rush and Savage a little bit. But after 9-11, I was like, holy shit. So I became a crazy hardcore conservative even though I was in this heavy metal band. So it was just like this oh, weird man. mix of worlds. But anyway, I was like the only conservative person I knew, but, um, were you, wait, you know, guess, were you in the closet conservative or did your people in your band know? That you were oh, they knew, they knew. Yeah. I was, I was pretty open about it. Um, yeah. And, and back then, you know, anybody who was the least bit conservative, if you were a little bit kind of young was considered a, a weirdo, you know, like, how can you be a Republican? You know, because yeah. I mean, the left—they own entertainment, so yeah, you know, that's... especially in the arts community, definitely. I, right, I mean, right. I mean, I'm in that community as well, and I—I I know some friends of mine who are in the closet libertarians, and they don't 
really tell people other than me and a few other people about it because they worry that they won't be able to get work or auditions or that it'll become somebody will dox them on social media. It's right. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, even then when I was super crazy conservative and I still have some of those beliefs, but I, you know, I've got a better worldview now. I still believe for the most part that liberals, I kind of was like, well, you know, I kind of admired them a little bit because they say they stand against war. And even though I was pro at the time, you know, we got to be in the Middle East fighting these wars. But um, and then also, you know, they were anti big corporations and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I kind of a little bit of me was like, you know, I can see that side of it. And then you like forward to now and it's like they were not anti-war under Obama it changed immediately like uh Cindy Sheehan you know she was like the uh, the queen of the anti-war movement because her son died you know and I think in Afghanistan is she said as soon as Obama was elected she never got invited to the hospital the White House anymore they wouldn't answer her calls so you know they put up with all that warmongering and then they're the biggest corporatist party I've ever seen in my life this this yeah. this administration right now it's unbelievable it really is. They, the revolutionaries, the, the people who are you know, anti-big corporations are now celebrating big corporations and hiding behind the veil of big corporations. They want the big corporations to do everything at this point. They're partnering with them. They, they, had, they elected a guy who's been a politician for almost 40 years at least. And this is these are the wild ones. These these are the liberals. It's it's insane. I have friends and then people have these weird ways of justifying the war stuff. We saw it just recently when Biden sent the missiles over to Syria. The, the, yeah, literally the yeah. exact same thing that Trump did a, a few <laughs> years back. I mean, almost exactly the same. And people are just okay with it because it's humanitarian. It's you know it's okay. Yeah. You know Assad is bad. He used chemical weapons. This is where the atrocity prop propaganda comes in. That, that's yeah. a real interesting history to research is the history of atrocity propaganda is they've been they've been using the same type of atrocity stories for hundreds of years oh wow yeah like the uh what was the one in the, i think it was the first gulf war the babies in incubators thing babies they were in incubators yeah nahara <laughs> gave the testimony and it just turned out to be like a a prince's daughter or something like that and the whole thing was scripted through uh was it Knowles PR Hill and Knowles PR agency? They did a lot of the cigarette stuff also, and it was it was used by George Bush Senior something like eighty times or something like that when he was going around. Ah, look what happened to the babies and in incubators, and and that that's what they did. A they went back and they interviewed some of the the people who voted in Congress, and a number of them, enough of them to put it over the top, were persuaded by what Bush said about about the babies and incubators and that does show that sometimes the people who are even in congress are not aware of what's going on mm -hmm. the idea is you don't want to have have to have everybody to keep a secret for the rest of their life you want to have a small number of people involved as possible and you want everybody else to believe it so that they can then go out and preach for it legitimately yeah. and yeah yeah that's um that reminds me too of you know, with the Rose Roundtables and the Council on Foreign Relations, you know, people say all the time, well, that many people could never keep a secret, you know, about this, yeah. that, or the other. But, uh, you know, it's like personnel is policy with the elite, you know, they all think alike. They go to the same schools, same secret societies and fraternities, all that stuff. So they already think alike. But I think it was Anthony C. Sutton, and I think even Carol Quigley alluded to 
there being like an inner circle with the CFR that knows things that you know the other people don't quite know. So I'm sure you'd be like Richard Haas and Henry Kissinger and people yeah. like that. But yeah. but uh, yeah, that's very very interesting because um, yeah, that they I think they keep these smaller groups and they know what's really going on. But the other people are just like you know they they're true believers. Yeah, there's a lot of true believers. I always wonder how high it goes up. Like people like Richard Haas, he's definitely a guy shaping some of the propaganda. You can hear him during the Council on Foreign Relations panel discussions that he's on. It's, I mean, they just openly talk about it. They, it's like they put it out there saying, ah, it's not going to be enough people that really watch it. And at least yeah, they can yeah. say that we, we told them. But I always, everybody, I think, believes that they are in the inner circle at that level, but they're not all in the inner circle. So I always, I always wonder, I'm curious at how. Richard Haas probably isn't actually in the inner of the innerest circle, but the yeah. people that are above them, as Brene said, are people that we've never heard of, that we don't know who they are, never seen their faces. And uh, I always want to find out who those people are. Oh yeah. I'd love to, man. And, yeah. And speaking of Richard Haas, has there ever been a more arrogant guy? And I mean, he's just terrible. I mean, I hate that guy. <laughs> the way that they talk about just they sit in their these little towers in the sky. It's like, and they get together and they talk about how they're going to shape the world that others lived. And these are unelected people, just rich yeah. unelected people that know, knows nothing about us or anybody else except probably their elite friends. And they're mm -hmm. just talking about how they're shaping the world. And, and yeah. they're, yeah, they don't give a shit. They're arrogant about it. And man, I just, they have, I don't know if it's, like they see everybody like cattle or if they're just truly that, that out of touch. I think it's probably a little bit of both, but the thing about the education you said is, is night and day, man. When you look at the boarding schools that these people go to and it's like clockwork, <laughs> when you look up Obama and Bush or any, anybody who becomes real prominent on the scene real quickly, like AOC, Stacey Abrams, the AOC and Stacey Abrams didn't go to the rich elite boarding schools, but they did go to exclusive programs that had taught the same type of curriculum. But the curriculum at these elite schools is you got to learn like three languages by the time you're in like fifth grade, you got to take acting classes, rhetoric, you got to read Aristotle, Socrates, all of the stuff that they took out of the public education system. And they teach them to organize the masses while they teach everybody in public schools to fall in line and follow their authorities. Wow, I never thought about that. That's brilliant, man. That makes total sense. I mean, that's it, it's kind of like um, with the secret societies. You know, they're they're teaching these people what the uh, what, what do they call them the um, profane masses. They can't learn this, these esoteric things. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. And and they just they, they do turn... think that they know better. You're right. They think that they know better than everybody else. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, that's another thing I want to hand to you because you listen to some of those CFR podcasts and like the, oh man, the, the Ch Chatham house. Have you ever listened to any of those? Oh my God. Those are so yeah, boring. Chatham house is that, that, that was one of the first ones that I, I found like a really crazy clip <laughs> during the beginning of the Russian uh, Russia did it back in like 2016 or 2017 that I found this one. There's a guy named, See, I get them confused because they have all these sirs and dukes if they come in there. And yeah. same thing was true back during World War One: sirs and dukes running the, the propaganda operations over in the United States. I, I'll, I'll backtrack and tell you, tell you about that one in a minute. But this guy, Andrew Wood, Sir Andrew Wood, is like this 85-year-old guy who, for the past 15 years or so, whose main goal 
according to the Chatham House and all the papers he's written, is to dis destroy Russia, basically, to get Putin out of power and to shape and change their culture. And he's got all these initiatives about Putin. And I started reading through those, and I looked at the titles and read through some of them from like 2009, 10, 11. And then I'm like, this is really strange. This feels like <laughs> what's going on right now in America feels related to this. And then you, you go up to 2015, and there's a panel discussion specifically about Russia and Putin and, and what the West is going to do to get rid of Putin. And this is right before the 2016 election. And Sir Andrew Wood is introduced by the, the host she says, this is, this is Sir Andrew Wood. He's so-and-so, the ambassador to blank, and gives his history. And, and he, Andrew Wood interjects during his introduction. He goes, I'd like to break up countries. And, and, and everybody just has a good laugh. Everybody goes, ha, 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 ha. He likes to break up countries. And I'm like, this is crazy. And, and this is the guy, Sir Andrew Wood, who gave John McCain the Russian dossier in Halifax at a Halifax security meeting in Canada. And he's also the mentor to Christopher Steele, the spy. Oh, wow. All of that. Wow. That's amazing, man. Oh my God. If, yeah. If you just follow the trail the money trail or the information trail, whatever it is. And it's amazing who you find linked up together. Like, you know, I'm sure you, you know, this, I may have even, even learned it from listening to you guys, but you know, the McCain Institute is, partially funded by the I think there's two Rothschilds on the board the the Saudi embassy is on the board uh open society is on the board it's like McCain was on the take you know and and he was never a conservative by any means but, but except maybe in a couple issues you know and those are probably for convenience and his family goes way back too his dad was there's a ship named after his, his dad and it, it the all of these guys it's just the same well mccain's dead obviously but the same group of people show up in like all of these scandals like what mccain was <laughs> one of them now now you have comey who's involved in a bunch of weird shit when he was a kid um the ramsey rapist i don't know if you heard the story about the ramsey rapist <clears throat> when comey was a kid there was a rapist in the town that he lived i can't remember where it was but this rapist broke into his house and put him and his brother in a bathroom and had his sister outside and she escaped i believe yeah she didn't get hurt by him and they escaped and they brought them in the police did to identify in a lineup who the guy was and he identified somebody who didn't do it oh and no it, and it ruined this guy's life there's an interview from his wife the guy's dead now i can't remember his name but from a couple years ago we played a couple of clips back when we were on wsb but it ruined his life and they never caught the guy but what's interesting is that comey was asked about that story by anderson cooper when he was doing his uh town hall tour like a year and a half ago or so and they leave out the part that he he fingered the wrong guy he just uses that story to say that's what compelled him to get into law enforcement, to, to get into the FBI, is that traumatic experience. And Anderson Cooper's like, did you ever find the guy? And he's like, uh, nope, we didn't, didn't, didn't find the guy. And, um, but we got out, we broke out, and we, we got my sister out. So he kind of frames himself as a hero, leaves out <laughs> the part about ruining somebody's life. Oh, my God. Well, I just want to say real quick, that doesn't surprise me, but um, – 
that must have been a terrible rapist. He just wasn't good at his job, you know. Yeah, yeah. He didn't. He couldn't get it done. It's it's nuts. It's it does make you wonder if, if okay. maybe Comey was the Ramsey rapist. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm not yeah. only any defamation claims here, but right, right. <laughs> oh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention quickly before I forget. Uh, something kind of kind of funny. I don't know Pete Quinones, but um, when I first got on Twitter with the odd man name, I was only with a personal account before, but anyway, it was a few years ago, and I posted one of your guys' uh, WSB shows on there, and I think it said something about uh, Atlanta, and uh, Pete commented, which I, like I said, I didn't know him or anything, but he commented, I didn't know that uh, that show was on here. I'm going to have to check, check them out. And we, you know, we messaged back and forth a couple of times and then like, you know, maybe a year or so later, I, hey, you guys are on his show and I'm like, that's, that's so cool. You know, <laughs> he probably doesn't even remember that, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it's kind of crazy how things happen like that. Yeah. 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 Pete's great. Been on the show a handful of times. He's, he's cool. He, he's does a, he's a big memer. Well, he was a big memer on Twitter until he got kicked off. <laughs> Is he off now? Yeah. He, oh man. He got kicked off a couple of times. Oh man. I'm going to, I got to have him on one day. Um, yeah, you were mentioning uh, World War One and all the, the sirs and the lords, and I wanted to ask you about uh, recently, like in the last month, I've kind of been looking into this group called the Pilgrim Society. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. So like, they claim that they're just this um, exclusive dinner club, and they were formed in 1902, and it was basically to foster the British and American relations. So that's the story. And they were, they came out of the round, bridge round table. So it was basically the Society of the Elect. And it was the year, or it was the year after Rhodes died that they formed. And so you have all these lords and, um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Milner, whatever, I forget his first name, but he was like Rhodes' secondhand guy. And so they formed this, this dinner club, supposedly. But if you really start to look into it, and it's hard to find stuff about it, they are into all kinds of shit. And so, um, and they still supposedly get together once or twice a year, but uh, I've, I've managed to find like four or five books now that mentions them. And uh, there's another guy who's done extensive research. It's unbelievable what he's pulled up, out about these guys. His website's called Americans for Innovation. It's a guy named Michael McKibben. And he actually ended up suing Facebook when they first came out because he said they stole his technology. So he's taken this all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's how he ended up finding out about about the Pilgrim Society, because he started looking into the judges and some of the lawyers that were involved in his cases. And he he found out through, I think it was their something to do with their taxes or something that they belong to this 501c3 called the Pilgrim Society. So, and there was like Lord Newberry, all all these different ones, but um, there were three or four that were Rothschilds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's one called uh, Lord Purbright. I can't remember what his real name was, but um, he married one of the Rothschilds. I think her name was Hannah. And she died suddenly, like she was young. She got some kind of disease. Well, he inherited all that money. And there's a place called the Purbright Institute that's named after him. And if you start looking into it, Bill Gates is funding or he's helped fund the Purbright Institute and they make vaccines and they try vaccines on animals and stuff like that. So it's amazing how this whole thing is kind of playing out. It's all intertwined, all connected. I I do a thing where every time I see one of these companies do a virtue signal move, like 
Oreo or, or Gillette where they do the men are bad commercial aggressive men. And I search the company and then I'll search the CEO and I'll just do, I'll pair it with world economic forum and Davos every single time, literally 100% of the time they've all shown up as like a partner to a rec especially recent initiatives for the world economic forum and the great reset specifically is what I'm looking for when I do those searches. But you said something about uh, the Lord, when you said Lord Newberry, there's a guy who his name is, I think it's Lord mastermind. And this is a guy, <laughs> it's crazy. This is a guy that was involved in the, he's one of the like main guys involved in the Wellington house propaganda bureau for the world war one, the British propaganda office. And I can find like almost nothing on the guy. There's like a passing reference to him in this book, Getting Us Into War, written by Porter Sargent. And outside of that, just I can find a couple of references, but just no trail. I'm sure it's a made up name. But I mean, what yeah. a mastermind? <laughs> Come on. And oh so my the, God. The one about uh, that book leading up to World War One, one of the guys who led up the operation in the United States, see the, the British sent like sleeper cells around the world. And so they would send these literary agents. H.G. Wells was one of them. He, he wasn't in the U.S. He went somewhere else. But they would send these well-respected literary agents, kind of like we send celebrities around, mm. kind of like, you know, the royals are over here now, which makes me think that uh, there's a little bit of this going on now. But they would send them around the world because these people had influence and they had, they, they had power in other countries because people knew who they were. And they even say in, in the book, they have the, the letters from – from um, Sir Gilbert Parker was his name. And they have letters from him to Lord Northcliffe, who was one of the heads of the Wellington office. And in the letters, he's just mocking the US. He's mocking how dumb they are, how gullible Americans are. And they talk about how you know, Americans, the American elites and American academics just want to be able to say they have a lord or a duke at their party so they can just send these influencers over there and they, they can whisper in the ears of these powerful people in the United States. It's crazy when you read the actual letters of them mocking us during World yeah. War One. That was my uh, that was another person on the ship here. That <laughs> Well, you got to have a crew. Right. Yeah. I can't yeah, fly you this can't, thing alone. No. I mean, even Captain Kirk couldn't fly this. The enterprise alone, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is amazing, man. And, and a couple of those names that you mentioned are Pilgrim Society members, uh, especially. Oh, really? oh yeah, and uh, the uh, of course Kissinger is a Pilgrim Society member. But there's two books that they put out in the I think about ten years ago, 2002, I think, because that would have been their centennial year. So these actually tell the members, and, and they they you know whitewash that they're just this nice society that gets together and has dinner and they want to foster British and American relations, but they tell all the names of the people who were in the, in there up until that point, I think 2002 or 2003 is the last year that people know for sure who was in it, but there's a picture of Kissinger in the back of the book with some Lord, but um, yeah, Northcliffe, that guy was, he was in there. It's just crazy. And the, and the Royal family there, they've always been a part of the, the yeah. Pilgrim society and stuff like that. So that is really interesting, man. I never thought much about that whole conspiracy of the English control America. And I don't really think they control us to a degree, but I think that they have maybe a, bigger, a much bigger role than I thought they did. So. Yeah, they definitely have an influence over us. Sorry. I got some dogs barking in the background here. Someone's been walking over, head i'm in the basement and making a loud sound here so yeah. so yeah they they i don't know I, I 
when I started learning about that and then I, the Chatham house and I started looking at some of the influences they have and especially the thing with Andrew Wood and the whole Russian, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that, that this was, now I don't know who got them to do it. There's somebody above them who got, who gets them to do it, but this whole thing originated from them. The, the Russian collusion thing, I, I firmly believe originated with the elites in the UK. I don't, I'm not saying that the British people or anything did it, but just right. the, these powerful think tanks over here seem to be the ones who have been behind this from the beginning when it comes to that. Yeah. You know, and I got to thinking about it the more I was looking into that Pilgrim Society and the Rhodes roundtables and stuff. And that was Rhodes' goal to uh, take over the governments of the world yeah, back for yeah. the British. So it yeah. kind of makes sense that, you know, they were, because, you know, as well as I do, they got all these different Council on Foreign Relations in other countries and yeah. different, uh, I don't think they call them Chatham House, it's Royal Institute of International Affairs or whatever in it's other countries. It's just name and the yeah. Royal Institute of, Inter yeah, give me a break. What about the, uh, the Council of Councils? Yeah, the CF Council of Councils. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Go I mean, it just, you know, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, and they don't even care because they know, I, I think you mentioned this, but I think they know that the average person is never going to look into it. They're just going to say, well, that's conspiracy, you know, and they're never going to do any more research than that. There's people that still say that the Great Reset is a, is a conspiracy. And I, I'm not quite sure what their justification is. I, I think at least. Scott Adams, the one I heard talking about it, he was saying that he he doesn't think it's some plan that's going to happen as people talking or whatever. No, it's not. It's actually stuff that is actually happening that you can verify. They are giving control to these big corporations who are aligning with what they call these ESG standards, these, these environmental govern the environmental social governance standards and they have these metrics that Klaus Schwab and all of them created. Klaus Schwab, who looks like a literal fucking supervillain. <laughs> right. You couldn't, you couldn't come up with a better supervillain than this guy. Even the way he yeah. sits behind his microphone with his legs crossed and he's like he's, he might as well be doing this with a cat on his shoulder. But they, they got these corporations that are going to connect with connect with them by revealing their ESG initiatives and the idea is that globally every company, corporation is going to show how they are meeting the standards, the worldwide ESG standards. And what, what these ESG standards are, it's kind of amounts to like a, a social, credit social credit score for corporations. And the way that you get a high score is, is you do initiatives that you want to end climate change. You do initiatives to create equity and equality, things that are impossible. So impossible right. things that are social justice virtue signals for the most part. But we're seeing companies do them left and right. Like I saw an Ikea commercial the other day that started off as a giant ball of fire and you realize it's hurling towards earth and we're all going to die. <laughs> and then you realize that it, it's a bunch of plastic and that we've done it to ourselves. And by shopping at Ikea, slowly it fades away. So <laughs> if you shop at Ikea, you'll stop the, the climate change plastic asteroid from hurling towards earth and killing us. And these other initiatives that kind of seem like they go against the bottom line, but, you know, meet the community standards of, of equity and um, racial and all the other shit that they put in there to try and divide people. The reason that they're able to get away with that is because they're adhering to what's called stakeholder capitalism, which is what Klaus Schwab calls this, the Great Reset and, and the ESG standard stuff. And they're going to get benefits of 
getting regulations favorable to them because the mm -hmm. idea is that they, they get the corporations on board they get the local governments on board and then the local governments will put in the regulations that no small or medium business or any business that's not taking a knee to the great reset can can survive if they don't meet and it just concentrates power in the hands of all these corporations and you see the head of paypal the head of mastercard the head of at&t are all involved in the in these panel discussions at the great reset it's act it's absolutely happening and over the past year it's it's gone rapid speed i mean yeah i've heard some people that i, I used to respect that basically say that there's no conspiracy there there's no nefarious things happening it's like how you don't even have to look that hard to understand this is an economic reset i mean that they're trying to like you just said consolidate powers um and social. They're attempting a social reset. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of, I don't want to get into the cold or anything, but like, it, you know, Alice Bailey and, you know, she's aligned with the UN and they believe in this utopia and they've written all these books about a coming utopia. And it seems to be aligning up with that as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty crazy. Now, include uh, is stakeholder capital capitalism, is that related to or the same as inclusive capitalism because i'm seeing the uh one of the rothschilds yeah there's a basically they you the idea is that the company has to make decisions and implement initiatives that is not for their shareholders it, that, mm. that is for the community the stakeholders and stakeholders are people around the business and might not even shop there. So the low income communities, it's all the social justice bullshit that we've seen. Yeah. So yeah, it's, if that sounds yeah. like what inclusive capitalism might be to, I haven't heard that term though. I need to look into it. So they've got a website. I think it's inclusivecapitalism.com or .org. And um, the first thing that popped up was, I think her name is Lady Lynn de Rothschild. I think she's French. I'm not sure. She's been yeah. pictured with the, the Clintons before and stuff. And then uh, you, you see the Pope. The Pope's all in for it. And then um, I don't know if it's on that website, but it's on a, the Rockefeller Foundation is one of the backers of it, of course. Yeah, so yeah. it's like even after all these years, the, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, are, they, they still have a hand in so many different things. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking if they're pushing it, I haven't you know really looked into it, but it can't be good. Yeah, and, and they they back to what you said earlier about the the liberals and, and justifying war. You think they're anti-war, but now oh, it's humanitarian, so it's okay. They're also wanting this stuff. They're also yeah. completely on board with these Rothschilds and all these powerful people that you would think they would kind of want to fight the power. It's not fighting the power. That's, <laughs> it's propping up the power. Yeah, and I try to tell people, man, freedom and dependency are two opposite ends. And if they have you dependent on them for your, your food, your lodging, everything that's important to you, which seems to be the way it's going, then they own you. And you're not going to bite the hand that feeds. You're going to shut up. Right. And even if you don't agree with some of the things that they're doing, you're not going to say a word. And they, they know that. And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's not, nothing comes for free, you know, right. basically. Yeah. That's why it's important that they capture the minds of kids is to condition yeah. them with this learned helplessness to make them think that they're entitled to stuff and that they are unable to do certain things. If they, if the education system created children and then future adults that had the proactive initiative to take initiative and to go figure it out and to be self-sustaining on their own, then it would totally take away the power of mm -hmm. those yeah. in charge.
Yeah, absolutely, man. Well said. Yeah, man. So I've been looking at your mask over your left shoulder. Oh, the the, they live. Looks like Andrew Cuomo, actually. (laughs) Dude, I want to find some of those glasses. You know, I don't think we need those glasses anymore. Though they they live glasses. Yeah, we can see them. Yeah, and you you watch. There's a video on on the World Economic Forum Great Reset thing. It's like an intro video. It's like a four minute video, and they address the fact that some people think it's a conspiracy. And say oh, some really? people think the Great Reset is a, a bunch of elites sitting together with a nefarious conspiracy. And while they're saying that, they're showing images across the screen. And one of the images is the they live glasses that are taken off. And then you see you see like that guy over your shoulder on the thing. And then it says, obey, obey. And then there's a lizard <laughs> on top. I'm like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> they're putting this stuff in their video. It's like they're mocking us. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy, man. The, the, everything is like. It's almost at this point, it's like, how much more can they do without just outright coming out and admitting who they are? Because it's so plain. But I think that, you know, people uh, like I was talking to some people the other day about the masks and, and, and how people are starting to ease up on the mask regulations and different things like that. And we were saying, like one guy said, you know, I think that people be wearing masks for months, even when they tell you, you don't have to, you know, obviously we know who's going to do that, the, yeah. the left and everything, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. The the it's so easy to see what's going on, man. They are taking over and think about the, the it, people are already trying to enforce mask policies on other people and I think that will get worse once mm. mandates get down because people will want to further they want to say, "Well, I better do it now. I better make sure people aren't wearing masks and I better call out people that I don't see." I I've always I tell people that I have not been confronted yet for not wearing a mask, but if I am, the way I want to play it is as soon as someone says something to me about not wearing a mask, I want to immediately accuse them of stealing my mask and cause a giant scene. Mask thief. <laughs> Man, that's terrified that my face is exposed. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, really cause some, you know, bring some attention to the whole thing. He stole right. my mask. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> I can just see that, like, you know, that gets to the local news. A rash of mask thievery totally, is going yeah. on. I'll set up a GoFundMe. I'll be like, I had my mask stolen. My bare face was exposed to the deadly danger, dangerous virus. I need $500,000 for my emotional distress. And I'll, make, you know, I'll probably get like 200 k in a week or so and then forget about it. Right. Set yeah, for yeah. at least a couple months, right? Yeah, definitely a couple months. <laughs> Those GoFundMe scams, man. That's where it's at. These activists. They make oh, killing on these GoFundMe scans. They, they, they bird dog. This is another pro- – this is like a propaganda of the deed type thing. Uh, bird dogging, an example is like going to try – to provoke a police officer until they punch you in the face or something like that. Uh, just, yeah. uh, uh, just setting somebody up to react to you and then having your buddy ready with the camera, filming it, and then taking that clip out of context, sending it to a friendly journalist. They give you a playbook on how to do this. I sign up for all the indivisible group and indivisible guide stuff and move on stuff. And I, I go to a lot of their virtual trainings just to see what they're teaching <laughs> people. And they, they tell you how to do this shit. And what these activists do, we saw it over the summer, is they get in these interactions with police officers and they cry oppression. They cry racism. They go on the tour, CNN, MSNBC, BBC. They do the, the press tour to get attention to their cause. And then the anger says, 
they have a GoFundMe set up. What's your GoFundMe account? And then they tell the GoFundMe. <clears throat> I, I track these GoFundMes and they make a killing in a matter of weeks. And then six months later, the real story comes out. Like in one one that happened here in Atlanta, these two police officers lost their job because of what happened with two activists from Spelman and Morehouse. Stacey Abrams went to Spelman. They, a lot of activists come out of there. And the the story was that they tasered this girl for no reason at all. Just, uh, I don't like you. Ah. <laughs> I mean, it's, the officers were black also. They, didn't, they don't tell you that in the story. They don't show a picture of the officers because the officers were also black. And they did the press tour. They got like 250K in like two weeks. And wow. two weeks ago, it came out that the police officers were reinstated because they didn't do anything wrong. And when you watch the video, and you could have watched the video back then, but nobody ever did. They just saw the clips they showed on the news. You would see that the kids were in the car and the cop was telling them to get out. He tried to open the door. And while the cop was trying to open the door, the kids speeds off while the cop is holding the door and kind of drags the cop a little. And that's when they ran up to the car and started to get a little more aggressive with them. That's mm -hmm. yeah. Cause they right. messed up. <laughs> and it's like, I, I've been, you know, I've ran from the cops before when I was a kid and I got my ass stomped on because I deserved it. Like mm. I shouldn't have been like messing around. So it's like, you do something like that and, and it happens, but there was no GoFundMe back then. So right. I didn't make any money off of it. Damn it, man. Yeah, it sucks. That's whoever come up with that is brilliant, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then they kick off legitimate GoFundMe's because yeah, doesn't yeah because they don't uh, have the same ideology as GoFundMe. Everything is politicized. Every single thing. It's, it's amazing, man. I like it's, to go on there sometimes and type in the craziest terms or the craziest ideas I can think of just to see <laughs> if there's like uh you know a it's com definitely a lot of communist ones. Um, there's also a lot of anti-men oh, ones that were on okay. there the last time, time i checked it's just fun to if you're bored to see what you can find on there yeah i imagine it would be i never even thought about that yeah because everybody's got their own little cause and of course everybody if they can figure out a way to make an easy buck they're going to do it yeah and it's like i heard somebody say the other day that we're basically in a society who is competing to be you know a victim so yeah, it's what it is. It's right. it's profitable to be a victim. There's incentive to make yourself into a victim right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime and talk about propaganda in certain like education, for instance. I know that's such yeah. a huge thing because uh, I know you know so much about that. Um, I got uh, I think that I heard you mention a book by Juiced Mirlo. Is that how you pronounce that? Juice Mirlo? The Rape of the Mind, I think. Oh, Rape yeah. yeah. That's Rape a really good book, man. It yeah. It's really good. Yeah. There's yeah. also one called Rape of the Masses, which is, uh, it's a, I think it's, I think that one is more personality, individual oriented. I think Rape of the Masses is, is more um, broad, more macro. So one of them's more yeah. micro, one of them's more macro. They're both very good. Very cool. So is there one particular book besides? Bernays propaganda, of course, that you would recommend people if they're just kind of wanting to start to understand, you know, the techniques that are used on us all the time. The getting the propaganda in World War that you mentioned earlier, which is by Harold Laswell, is a really good one. It's a it's a quick read. It's not not very long, and I, I actually like Bernays's crystallizing public opinion better than propaganda because he goes more into the weeds of the types of emotional appeals that 
that the news uses and talks more a little bit more detail in creating events and about how one of his lines in there is that all news is created he's got a whole mm. section on how all news is created one way or another it's like a public relations stunt or it's a press release and, and when you step back and think about it and you think about what is getting attention it's almost always you know you false flag it seems like or a press event mm -hmm. and these press events get turned into news i mean how many times was a tweet a freaking news story in the past four years that that's, oh, that's yeah. a pr yeah. stunt so that that's a really good one let's see if i can see any others over here that I'd have, to, I'd have to think I, I'll uh, I'll send you some of the ones and you can put them in the show notes or something but cool. those are the ones I, I typically recommend and and Yule's that we mentioned earlier that's a really oh, that's yeah. a tough read sometimes but it's really insightful he was he was brilliant man he yeah, really he was. was I I've got uh, that one I've got the anarchy and Christianity I've got uh, the one he did on uh, well, I know he did several on technology he was kind of a Luddite but uh I think it's the Technological Society. I get his and uh, one of uh, Brzezinski's books mixed up all the time. But anyway, it's, it's a great book, too. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I mean, I think everybody probably knows, all my listeners should know, the Propaganda Report. But please tell us how they can listen to you and, and find you. Because I know you, do you still do videos on uh, YouTube sometimes? I do occasionally. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I make do fake interviews and sometimes I'll put shows up. I haven't really been putting our shows on YouTube anymore because I started yeah. getting some old videos, like four year old videos removed recently and yeah. getting warnings and stuff. But I do put uh, satire videos on there occasionally. So you, you can find me at youtube.com slash Brad Binkley there. And our podcast propaganda report drive time news blasts our daily news show. It is on any podcast platform or the prop report. Dot com. I'm also on Twitter at Freedom Act Radio, and we are on Rockfin as well. That's where we do deconstructions of these panel discussions that like the CFR and the Council on Foreign Relations do at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. I think that covers the game of so many social media outlets I, that it's hard to <laughs> keep up. I mean, yeah, we switch back and forth too because we get kicked off one. So it's, sometimes it can be hard to keep track of all of them. Yeah, I know, man. It's it, it, the censorship's unbelievable, and you know it's only going to get worse. So I think platforms like Rockfin, you know, that's yeah. a great platform. If people don't know about Rockfin, it's kind of like a Netflix for truth. You know, if you want to call it truthers, I don't really like that term, yeah. but yeah. alternate, you know, media or whatever. If you want to see a lot of great shows, there's all kinds of other shows on there. You can watch them all for one price, like a subscription yeah. price, right? Yeah, it's so nine ninety nine, and yeah, it's like uh, like you said, it's like a Netflix meets YouTube kind of thing almost where a lot of people who were getting censored on other platforms have moved over to there because I, I, I agree. I think that's where it's at. I think the more the censorship amps up, the more people are going to go to platforms where they have the protection of a paywall that mm. platforms that are f more friendly to free speech, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, isn't uh, see Sam's over there, right? Sam Tripoli. Yeah. On Rockfin. Yeah, uh, that's all, I saw you on Sam's show not long ago. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, well, that was cool, man. It was, he's he's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool guy. I was on um, uh, Union of the Unwanted last night. That was interesting. It was like 18 oh, yeah. people on there. Oh, it was so cool, man. People on there. Yeah, it was like try. You know, you're trying to get your right. word in there, and they're like, nope, somebody else said something. Yeah, I think I, I'm more of the quiet type, so I'm not really yeah. that great on those kind of shows where there's a lot of people but it was fun yeah. to be on there I, i'm the same way i think my first experience even though i've, I've 
probably talked your ear off here, but no, my man, first no. experience there, I was, I sat, I was there the whole time, and I, I just feel weird because you're sitting there and it's, it's like the Brady Bunch image time fifteen, <laughs> just faces all over right. the screen, and you're just kind of sitting there, and you don't really, it's, you know, I, you don't want to jump in and interrupt because it's yeah. hard to pass the focus anyway. And I remember the the first one I did at the very end, they kind of went around and everybody said their their show and their website and stuff, which I kind of felt bad for doing because I was like, I didn't, I said literally nothing the entire time. <laughs> And then at the end, I was like, uh, well, I'm, I'm Brad Binkley and blah, blah, blah. Here's my information. Um, uh, and I didn't say a word the entire time, but yeah, um, yeah you can check me out. So, <laughs> Well, there, there were people on there, I think, that never said anything. I was like, scroll, because at first I, I only saw the, the there was like eight pictures at, at the top. And I realized, oh my you gosh, you can over. scroll. Yeah, and yeah. It was like, kept on scrolling. I was like, I don't right. know any, I knew, I knew like two, three people on there besides yeah. Sam. So it was interesting, but uh, yeah, that's a wild show, man. Great it's for okay. networking though. Sure. Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. This has been awesome, dude. I, I knew that we have a good conversation and uh, I hope that you'll be on again, man. And we'll talk about propaganda in some other form. I'll have something more specific and maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk behind the scenes and, and get something together. Yeah, definitely. That'd be cool. I love talking propaganda tactics and uh, history. It's uh, very interesting. It definitely is, man. There was another book I wanted to mention that I wanted to ask you if you'd read, but anyway, I'll, I'll message you about it. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, man. Thanks, Brad. All right, thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. Well, there you go. That was my show with Brad Binkley, and that is a box checked off. I wanted to do an interview with him when I first started doing this show, and that's been a very influential podcast for me, The Propaganda Report, and it taught me to look even deeper into different things, different subjects, and, and read the documents and, and look into what these people are saying on their podcast and stuff like that. So thank you so much to Brad for being on, and I hope to talk to him again in the near future. I love the subject of propaganda. It's one of my favorite things to study because... America runs on propaganda. The world runs on propaganda. Propaganda makes the world go round. And I think we all know that deep down. So anyway, I just want to tell everyone that I do have a Patreon and I've been putting the shows up a week beforehand on there and also putting the video from the shows up on there. In fact, the video for this particular episode has been on the Patreon for two or three days now. So please check the Patreon out at patreon.com slash the odd man out and other than that i just want to let you guys know i was on the union of the unwanted so you can check that out i'm going to be on monday with john brisson on his youtube channel we've read the documents and we're going to be talking about the pilgrim society i think i'm going to be on the infinite fringe with billy ray valentine soon if we can work that out i'm going to be on with moral bob i had an awesome guest the other day red pill israel Luis Perez, he is, he was Jewish. He brought up Jewish and he converted to Christianity, but there's so much more in between. And he studied Catholicism. He went to school in Israel. He lived in Mexico. So he's got a very unique story. And we talked about the Zohar, the different types of the Talmuds, the three different types of Judaism. We touched on Zionism and the things that go on with uh, Messianic Judaism in Israel. We talked about all kinds of stuff. We got into Freemasonry and its links with Judaism. 
and we talked about uh, Moloch, and we talked about Rimfan and the Star of David and its original meanings, so many things. So please tune in for that. That's going to be out this week. And I just want to thank you for your support. Thank you to all my patrons. And I just want to wish you a cheers and a blessings for all of you and your family. And remember, their order is not our order. See ya.